Today we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. 1 John 2, 18. And last week we, we looked at uh, the world. Uh, last week we looked at the verse where it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. And we're addressing two enemies that we face as Christians. One is the world, and today we're going to be looking at the antichrists that are out there, the false teachers, the, the heresies, the, the, the wrong, uh, the distortions of truth that are out there that can trip us up. And we, we need to be made aware that in these days uh, that is one of the threats to our faith. So may the Lord... Open our ears and hearts to his word this morning as we read 1 John 2, 18-28. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. May God again bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Well, we're talking about genuine Christianity. What's, the, what's, what's true Christianity look like. And today I want to draw two things from this passage that help us to see uh, and kind of examine ourselves and hopefully equip us and encourage us in our faith. And the first thing I want to point out is that genuine Christians live in the last hour. You'll note here that he says, uh, children, it is the last hour. Now this, the statement that I'm making here, the, the point that I'm making that genuine Christians live in the last hour. Well, that's true, um, but really uh, everybody lives in the last hour. Everybody that's alive on the face of planet Earth is living in the last hour. Muslims are living in the last hour. Atheists are living in the last hour. Christians are living in the last hour. But genuine Christians, we need to be aware that we're living in the last hour. Now, what does he mean by the last hour? Of course, this was written uh, 2,000 years ago, and John uh, uses this phrase that's used throughout Scripture, the last hour, last days. Uh, did they think that Christ was going to come back immediately? Did they think that, was it going to be in just a few days, a few months, a few years? 
Did they get it wrong by saying this is the last hour because he's writing to a first century audience? Did John think that it was, quote, five minutes to midnight? Was he convinced that the end time was at hand? Well, I don't think so. I don't think he was missing the second coming of Christ by 2,000 years. But what he's saying here, and what the biblical writers say when they refer to the last hour or the last days, it refers to the time between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. Ever since Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, we have been living in the last days. It has been the last hour, according to Scripture. And what we mean by that is that up to Christ's coming, God's plan of salvation was being worked out in steps. And as time passed, God was doing things through, throughout history. You know, he created the world. Uh, the, the world fell. Uh, he called Abraham. He, he, called, well, he called Noah. He called Abraham. He formed the nation of Israel. He eventually came to the point where the Son of God was born died on a cross, rose from the grave, and ascended to heaven. So all that was the progress of our redemption, coming to the point where Christ appeared, and then Christ arose, and then Christ ascended. And now, the only thing left, the only thing left to happen is for Christ to return. John Henry Newman put it this way, of things ran straight towards the end, nearing it by every step. But now, under the gospel, that course has, if I may so speak, altered its direction as regards his second coming and runs not towards the end, but along it and on the brink of it and is at all times near that great event which, did it run towards it, it would at once run into it. Christ, then, is ever at our doors. F.F. Bruce put it more succinctly in his commentary. He said, In the Christian era, it is always five minutes to midnight. The Lord could come back at any moment, any time, any second now, He could appear. So, we must be vigilant and prepared for that coming all the time. That's why John says that, children, we're in the last hour. It could happen any moment. And so we need to be aware that we are in a battle. We, we need to be aware uh, uh, of the work of those who oppose Christianity, who, are, who try to get us unprepared for that great event. So that's what John is doing here. He's calling us to be reminded that we're in a conflict. We're in a battle. You know, we are soldiers. That imagery is used throughout Scripture. And if a soldier, you know, a literal soldier, some of these guys we have here today uh, are soldiers, and some of you have served, uh, you know that if you're in a battle and you're not aware that you're in a battle, well, you're just a sitting duck. You don't want to be a sitting duck. You know, if you, if anyone, has anyone ever shot a duck? You know, if you're, it's really easy to hit a sitting duck. It's not so easy to hit one that's flying. 
We don't want to be a sitting duck for the enemy. So John is reminding us that we live in the last hour. It could be Christ's return. could be any, any moment. And in the meantime, while we're living in this, this time where we're waiting for the end, we have enemies who are fighting against us. We looked at the world yesterday, or not yesterday, but last week. Uh, we, we, we're looking at the enemies of Christ today. And then, of course, we have our flesh that we're struggling with as well in the midst of all that conflict. But we live in a struggle. And the Christian life is that struggle. And we have to engage in that struggle every day. We'd like to think that, that as we get older and more mature that the struggle would lessen, that things would get easier, but that's not the case. We'll always be fighting these enemies. We'll always be opposed by the world, uh, by the devil, and, and all those who oppose Christ and his kingdom. And we'll always have a struggle in our flesh until the Lord returns. And we are no longer, not only not under the dominion of sin, we're not even in the presence of sin anymore. And that will be a wonderful day. So we need to be ready for it, prepared for it. As he says at the very last verse uh, that we read, verse 28, where he, he points out the fact um, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him at his coming. We want to be ready and welcoming when he appears and excited about his return. So as genuine Christians, we need to remember that this is the last hour and we need to live according to that. And we are in, in this last hour, a battle and we need to be aware that there are enemies out there who would like to steal from us, kill us, destroy us. The battle is real. It's a spiritual battle, and it's very real. Well, that's the first thing I wanted us to remind of, that we, we need to be mindful as Christians that we live in the last hour, always. Then, secondly, genuine Christians hold fast the faith. Hold fast the faith. He says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, and that's what he talks about in Revelation. There is a time when there's, there's one Antichrist that we read about in, in Revelation that's going to be coming, but in the meantime, there are Antichrists. There are people always for the last 2,000 years and even before that, who have opposed Christ in his kingdom. So that's why, therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, if someone um, were going to prepare you and, and tell you, hey, it's the last hour, and they knew that, say, you know, here's what you need to be, they might say, here's what you need to be looking out for. So you can see that it is the last hour. And they might, uh, they might tell you certain things if you were, they were trying to prepare you for the last days. Some would undoubtedly try and rehearse all the predicted events in order to know what was going to happen, and you would get a lesson perhaps in biblical prophecy. And that's uh, certainly um, appropriate to some degree. But John doesn't do that. You, 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 notice, you notice what he's, he's warning us about here. 
uh, is heresy. John's warning his readers about heresy. And the lesson for us who live in these last days, this last hour, along with John's readers, is to be on your watch against false teaching that will lead you astray. Look out for heretics. Heretics are antichrists. Now, when you think about the word heresy, what does that bring to mind? You think of maybe some torches and pitchforks and burning people at the stake and, and you know, theological watchdogs barking, maybe at the health and wealth preachers. But what is heresy? Michael Horton says, it's any teaching that directly contradicts the clear and direct witness of the scriptures on a point of salvific importance. Heresy is the kind of doctrinal error that is so serious that it redefines the gospel. Error is always costly. It dishonors God and, and damages the church. But not all errors are heresies. A heretic is not someone who fails to explain adequately the, the doctrine of the Trinity, for example, or that Jesus is both fully, I'm sorry, a heretic is not someone who fails to explain adequately the doctrine of the Trinity or that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, the nature of the atonement or justification by faith alone. No, a heretic denies these truths and is fundamentally unsubmissive to apostolic doctrine and authority as it is given in Scripture. So, yeah, we can fall short in our understanding and our ability to, to speak it clearly, but a heretic is someone who denies those truths. And there are people out there who do so. And there were people in John's day that did so. And surprise, surprise, they came from the church. They used to be among those people that, to whom John is writing. They were in the pews next to them. I don't know if they had pews back then, but they were in the church next to them on Sundays when they worshiped together. They left and now the things that the church upheld, they deny and they actively promote against those truths. And especially in John's day, they were denying that Jesus came in the flesh. And he's talking, that's what he's talking about here. It was a, a very common idea in, in those days that Jesus was not God in the flesh because the the material world was considered evil. And for God to take on human flesh, that would mean God is taking on evil. And so they deny that Jesus was actually God. So that steals away the truth about what he, who he is and what he came to do. They were denying Christ, and in so doing, they were denying the Father as well, John says. Now, that seems kind of distant from us. It's not the heresy that we're, we see most often struggling. Few people deny that, that Je- well, there are some people who deny that Jesus actually existed. They would fit this category. But in our culture, you know, most people at least recognize that Jesus was a historical figure. And I think it's safe to say that there's plenty of proof. I don't think there's any individual who's impacted the history of the world more than Jesus Christ. That's just a a fact that you can't get away from. And certainly if he never existed, he wouldn't have that much influence in the world that he does. So that's kind of silly to say that he never even existed. 
But there are people, and many people, who would deny that he was divine, the divine son of God. You don't see that so much in our culture in the South. People still believe that Jesus was the son of God. Um, But we have to be aware uh, that there are other things that are being denied today. Chief among them is the nature of Christ's atonement, that Jesus actually came as a sacrifice for sin in our place. That is the favorite doctrine to be denied today in churches. And fewer and fewer fewer so-called Christians are believing that. They're listening to false teaching. And it's influencing the church. And when you steal the gospel away, you, you you rip the very heart out of it like they're doing. Then people stop. Why, why bother? The sacrifice wasn't that great. And Jesus is, is reduced to just a, a nice moral example of self-sacrificial love. He was certainly that, but it was more than that. Scriptures make that clear. So that's just one example of what we need to be aware of around us. That's the enemy. False teaching comes in. And when we, when we think wrongly about about the Lord, we, we get everything else wrong. It filters down. You know, some people think, oh, doctrine's not important. You know, a practice is more important. But you're not going to have right practice unless you have right doctrine, right beliefs about things. You have to believe right in order to do what's right. Look at the quote on the front of our bulletin from Eugene Peterson. I'm not sure he says it strongly enough, but But it is a good quote. Nothing counts more in the way we live than what we believe about God. That's so true. A failure to get it right in our minds becomes a failure to get it right in our lives. A wrong idea of God translates into sloppiness and cowardice, fearful minds and sickly emotions. That's what I don't think he says strongly enough. That's certainly true that, yes, it does have those sorts of consequences. But a wrong idea of God can lead us into eternal damnation. It can lead into spiritual and eternal ruin. So we must be vigilant to hold fast the truth in these last days in which we live. And how can you know false teaching if you don't know the truth? A lot of people say, well, we need to study all the errors that are out there. Well, the errors, they keep coming you know, a lot of them are just recycled old heresies that come back again and again. But most importantly, what we need to know is the truth. If we know the truth, then we'll know when there's error. That's what we need to focus on. Just like uh, someone who uh, investigates counterfeit money. They don't study the counterfeits. They study real money. They understand exactly what it's supposed to look like to the very tiniest detail. And when they, when they do that, they see a counterfeit bill, they know exactly that it is fake. Same is true of Christian, Christianity. If we understand the truth, you know, the more we understand it, the more we spot, can spot error. So, as, as he says here, you know, we need to abide in him. We have his word. Uh, we have this anointing he talks about. You know, how do we stand up and hold fast the truth? Well, he says, you have been, verse 20, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Now, that word anointing is an interesting word. It it comes from the same word 
that's the basis for the word Christ, you know, Jesus Christ. That's not his last name. Uh, that's his uh, title. He's the anointed one. He was, he's God's chosen instrument of redemption and salvation for us. He's the one set apart. He's set apart as a prophet, a priest, and a king to come and save us from our sins and, and to, to guide us into the truth and to give us eternal life and to reign and rule over us in his kingdom. So we have been anointed. There's, and, and that word refers to uh, a ceremony, especially in the Old Testament, when you had a prophet or priest or, or a king, especially a king. Uh, you remember David when uh, he was anointed king. They poured oil over his head as a symbolic reference uh, or a symbolic act to show that he was the one set apart to be the king. And that's the, the kind of language that's being here, used here. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on us as his people. When you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. And what does the Holy Spirit do? What's the job of the Holy Spirit? Every, every believer has the Holy Spirit living inside them. And when we, we go to the words of Jesus, where he talks about the coming Holy Spirit, John 14, 15, and 16, he says these things. Notice the common thread that's in all these statements. John 14, 17, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In verse 26 of John 14, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then in the next chapter, verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then chapter 16, verse 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but who, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So John is reassuring his readers that they have the Holy Spirit, and, and this is the doctrine of illumination we're talking here. And illumination simply means, I mean, we pray for illumination before we uh, read the scriptures, before I preach the sermon, uh, because we want the Holy Spirit to enlighten us. We want the Holy Spirit to to turn the lights on for us so we can see clearly what the, what the Bible is teaching, so we can, we can understand the truth of it. Without the Holy Spirit's work in us, we won't get it. We won't hear it. It won't penetrate into our minds or our hearts. I love Frank Barker's testimony. Frank Barker uh, was the church planter and, and then senior pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church, huge church in Birmingham. And he pastored that church for decades. But he, was a, he went to seminary before he was a, a, a Christian. I think he thought he was a Christian. Uh, but he went to seminary, and uh, he, he was studying away, and he got invited, I think, to a church service, but he heard some good gospel preaching, and, and he was converted. And he said, why? You know, I was going to seminary. I, I've been in church why have I never heard this before? Why has no one told me this stuff before? Has, has never told me the gospel? Well, when he went back and started looking at the books that he'd been studying for seminary, it was all right there. He's, he saw it clearly. 
something that he never saw before. It was all right in his hands. It was all right in his, uh, written in black and white before him. But he couldn't get it because he did not have the Holy Spirit enlightening him. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit turned the lights on that he could see the gospel, understand it, grasp it, and put his faith in Christ. And, and John's telling us, you have the Holy Spirit. He's, he's leading you into the truth. Now, it's true. We can grieve the Spirit. We can resist the Spirit. We can be out of step with the Spirit. Paul tells us to keep in step with the Spirit. But the Spirit leads us to Christ. The Spirit points us to Christ always. And he also convicts us of sin. And he's working in us to make us like Christ. But we can resist that work. We can, we can push it away. We can, you know, we've got the truth right here for the Spirit to turn the lights on for us. But do we read it? Do we pick it up and read it every day? It's God's Word to us. Have we, have we grown apathetic about it? Well, we live in the last days, the last hour, and this is telling us all about that and, and everything that we need to know, everything that we need to do. And if, we're not, if we don't know the truth... We'll certainly won't live it out, and we will fall for error because we, we, we are not aware if someone's even teaching us error because we don't know the truth. So John's telling us, look, you've got this anointing. Look down at uh, verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let it just sink down and grow and, and, and soak your heart. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So the Word, you know, he, he tells us right at the end, abide in Him. That's the last words of verse 27. Um, he, how do we abide in Him? We spend time in His Word. We meditate upon that. And we spend time in prayer, praying these things into our lives. I write these things to you, verse 26, about those who are trying to deceive you but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. It's not saying that you don't need somebody to teach you, that you, you, you just need to ignore all teachers, don't read books, or anything like that. He's making the point that the Spirit will take the words and he will bring them to life in you. He will help you to understand. He is, you are anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he, he's working. But we can grieve it. We have to abide in him. When Jesus prayed for the disciples in John 17, the great high priestly prayer, he said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So we need to know the truth in these last days. First John 2:25. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I just want to end with this thought that it's almost over. You know, this world will not go on forever. Uh, our lives are short, even if the Lord doesn't come in our lifetime. Uh, e even if you've, you've lived a long, long time, uh, you know, that... It's just a short period compared to eternity. And that's what the Lord has given us. But what we do now in this last hour is preparing us for eternity. 
So we need to take those things seriously. May the Lord take his word and impress it upon our hearts, not just here this morning. We certainly want that to happen, but every day, every day, may we listen to him and may the Spirit apply the word to our lives. Let's go to him in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, <coughs> Lord, we, <clears throat> we come to you this morning and, and we recognize that because we have forgotten that we live in the last hour, that you could return at any moment, that we have grown apathetic, that we've been lazy. Uh, Lord, we, we have not um, remembered the gospel, that you have, that you have died for us, for us uh, that you have suffered in our place to, to make us your children. And yet, Lord, we often don't listen to you, and we go our own way. And we pursue sinful things that you died to save us from. So, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us and help us to run uh, in the way of holiness in our lives so that we might reap a harvest, uh, reap a harvest of good things, the good things that you have in store for us in our lives. May you revive us, Lord, as a church, and, and may we... May we love you more than the world, and may we be protected from the antichrists that are out there trying to deceive us. Lord, we pray that you would build your church. We pray that you would build it knowing that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. But Lord, help us to have that mindset that we are in these last days and to be vigilant, be on the watch, and to be diligent. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.